another episode of The Critics Corner. Me, Armando Mini, and sitting next to me, as usual, I have William Locke. How is everyone doing this fine summer day? Bless up. Uh, well, they can't yeah, really respond, but... I don't know when you're hope, listening to this podcast. Yeah, to be fair... And you can't respond, but how yeah. are you doing? Yeah, very, very good question. Yeah, welcome to this next episode, film episode. We got 60s films, directors, actors, we're going to be talking about... Before we get into it, I'm going to give you a, a little background into what the 1960s sort of meant for filmmaking. Uh, last episode, we talked a little bit about how post-war Hollywood sort of really permanently shifted from classical Hollywood tropes and, and narratives, and now there's an even greater sort of breaking uh, from classic Hollywood because... Beforehand, Hollywood was dominated by major studios that are still around today, like MGM and Universal, and some that aren't, like RKO. And really, if you wanted to make a film that people saw, it had to be a studio film. It could either have been an A film, which is which has high production quality, a lot of money goes into it. You have star actors and actresses. You have a great director, supposedly. Uh, and it's supposed to make money, and then you have a B film, which usually complements an A film, sort of shown in succession with each other, oftentimes at theaters. But that's of lower quality, usually more experimental. We're shifting from that because studios are starting to break down. The studio system starts to break down in, in the 60s and 70s in what's called uh, the beginning of New Hollywood. So instead of studios requiring actors, actresses, directors to have contracts with them for three to five films or five to ten years to be able to get the films or to be able to be on camera or to be able to make films. Now we're starting to see looser requirements with contracts. We're starting to see the rise of independent production companies, which are essentially run by creatives, people outside of studios that fund and sort of guide uh, filmmakers to, you know, make their own uh, films without the need of the studio to sort of be overlooking everything. And this allowed for a lot different type of film than we had classically seen, because with studios looking over your shoulder at every point, you don't really get to take a lot of chances. They need to make money, right? I mean, film is a business. So you're usually encouraged to follow this mold of filmmaking that they think will make a lot of money and they don't really care about the artistic qualities of the film as much. But now you start to see independent cinema, you start to see uh, European filmmaking come into America, uh, start to dominate. So things like German Expressionism, which did already have an influence in film noir, but uh, French film... Uh, and even Japanese and uh, sort of Southeast Asian filmmaking techniques start to come into play. But anyways, in terms of general context, we have the Vietnam War, uh, which is huge. A lot of films in the 70s later are about that, Apocalypse Now. Um, and then we have the Civil Rights Movement, and that has the largest impact on the filmmaking industry of any sort of event. So uh, civil rights movement, obviously throughout the 60s, culminating in the Civil Rights Act, I believe 68. We have the first, finally, the first widely accepted and studio-sponsored, apparently, 
uh, black actor Sidney Poitier, who is known everywhere in white neighborhoods, black neighborhoods, and and uh, you know minority neighborhoods and everywhere. Um, and we start to have some more representation on screen. We start to see minority filmmakers like actually have an impact and not just on screen talent but off screen although obviously it's not super common and because of this we get really interesting films and more breaking from although we like classic hollywood uh more breaking from the norm so that's what we're gonna probably talk about we're yeah. gonna go through our first i would say films go ahead um, Will, yeah, any thoughts the 60s there was definitely there was so much going on in the 60s uh, I think more so than the 70s and 80s uh, the 60s was the peak of the Cold War you had the Bay of Pigs mm-hmm. um, and the whole missile crisis there you had the civil rights movement the peak of that um, those kinds of kind of were, were intertwined and then that toward the end toward the end of the decade you had the start of the Vietnam War and you really you start to see directors that aren't afraid to make movies about you know these major events kind of like you said and they're not afraid to make movies about these events uh, you have Kubrick who makes you know Dr. Strangelove um, and also I forgot to mention there were two major figures a, a president was assassinated in the 60s and also yeah. Martin Luther King was assassinated in the yeah. 60s um, so just a lot going on and people you know movies weren't afraid to talk about that uh, these you know these events in you know <laughs> movies weren't afraid to talk about these events so I think that's important, and we say there's a lot going on now in 2020, which undoubtedly there is. Uh, if you look back in the 60s, it was definitely a scary time to live in. Um, so that's kind of the thing that stands out for me in, in that in that decade, there, uh, just in the reg- in the real world. And then we'll yeah. talk about film coming up there, here. But. There are definitely some similarities. Uh, that was the last time where we saw significant social upheaval i mean not only did you have sort of anti-war uh movements but you also had you know social justice uh, civil rights movement that had obviously an incredibly significant effect as you said mlk assassination jfk assassination malcolm x assassination assassination assassinations plagued this era and sort of bled into the 70s where you had attempts on multiple presidents lives We'll talk about Taxi Driver later because that that's in the 70s. That has a particular role to play in assassinations, both in reflection and actually leading to an assassination attempt. But yeah, again, things like uh, when we're talking about other sort of major events, just to give you all some context. But I'm interested to get into this decade because there are so many different great films. There's like these great westerns of Sergio Leone, right? The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. There's, um, you know, Kubrick starting to rise, Hitchcock starting to fall. Really interesting era. So, yeah, do you want to get into your top five? We're starting at five, right? Yeah, do you want to start at five, or do you want to do the honorable mentions first and then the list? Or do you want to... Oh, well, I think if we hit honorable mentions, we'll ruin what's in okay, our top five. Okay, so, yeah. so, that's fair. So, that's a good point. Uh, five, I have... The best western ever made the good the bad and the ugly um it was the one of the trilogy i think it was it was the last of the trilogy between sergio leone and clint eastwood mm-hmm. um it takes place during the civil war um yeah. and i 
I just remember watching this movie for the first time probably like again five to ten years ago and I've mm-hmm. seen it again since and it's super long it's three hours yeah uh, it's it's a long watch but it keeps you interested for the most for most of the entirety which is very difficult for a western I think mm-hmm. a lot of them are very predictable it's the same thing cowboy comes in saves people or whatever um, but this one I think Clint Eastwood plays a great character and also Cliff or what's his name Lee Van Cleef Lee Van Cleef uh, <laughs> yeah, plays a good classic. I think is he the uh, he's the villain the, he's like the bad Clint Eastwood's the good Eli Wallach's the ugly Eli Wallach's the ugly yeah. and the bad is Van Cleef yes sir um, I think he does he plays a very good villain and the last scene the duel is epic uh, yeah. iconic cinematic um, moment and I think this is probably the best western ever um, Sergio Leone and Clint Eastwood just dynamic duo so yeah I mean the greatest western director and then the greatest western <laughs> actor except maybe you could say um, John. Well, John Wayne but he's like uh, he's more of a physical actor and that's classic Hollywood stuff yeah. but anyways um, I like that pick I like it's a solid pick in the draft um, I like the pick I actually had it as one of my honorable mentions. I don't have it, so just to sorry to ruin it. But I loved Clint Eastwood's performance. It was better than For a Few Dollars More, better than A Fistful of Dollars, although those were both great westerns as well. I'm not a huge western guy. I've literally watched four westerns that I enjoy, and all four of them were Sergio Leone. So yeah. that's, that's pretty much it. Really solid film, great choice. Eli Wallach also incredible actor whose career spanned many decades but my number five i i went with so my list as you were saying is kind of a combination of objectively maybe the best and most impactful films but also you know obviously my bias um, (laughs) is is a factor and sort of my favorites sneak in here so number five is the graduate now why number five why is it in my top five a lot of people would say you're crazy you're ignoring a lot of other films that i won't mention uh, until we go through honorable mentions but the graduate not only do you have a personal connection filmed on usc campus fight on uh and so it's huh so you're having an affair with your friends (laughs) oh oh, no 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 not in the not in the way where you know i'm seeing a woman two and a half times my age (laughs) but um you did just graduate from college yeah i did graduate from college you know hanging out in the pool um (laughs) classic plays but yeah i mean it's it's a film of this time for us it was it was an incredibly interesting film in a a film that had not like that type of film had not been produced and distributed at the time because usually it's an older man and a younger woman uh that's like a a sort of established social norm at the time even though the reverse was not uh it's obviously a double standard oh no of course it is but especially at that time this had never been this sort of thing was almost never shown on screen there was a a very disturbing film as well during this time lolita which was based on a novel where you have this old i think professor who's very interested in this young girl that's obviously very underage that's incredibly messed up breaking a lot of lot this breaks barriers in a different way um and yeah i really 
it's an enjoyable film, a fun film, um, an interesting dualistic romance. It's just how he gets himself in such <laughs> trouble. Yeah, he's it's a very he's weird desperate. Situation. No, I mean, yeah. Again, we don't want to ruin specific plot points with these films, but uh, a wild ride. A really good performance by Dustin Hoffman, who was also in Midnight Cowboy, had a really solid decade, and I don't know, was uh, Rain Man. Yeah, Rain Man was later with Cruz. I was trying to think. There's this film with him and Steve McPapillion. I don't know if that's this decade, but uh, that's another really solid Hoffman film. Um, Yeah, it was compelling weird how he was sleeping with the mother and the daughter and yeah. those dynamics and the father being a basically a cuckold and all of these weird weird things happening but it's just funny and it's interesting to watch that train wreck and yeah i yeah. that one i had i put in took out of my list and yeah. if we were doing a top 10 that would be six that was my first honorable mention i got you um so going into four for me this movie I watched this week, actually. Today's Friday. I think I watched it Monday or Tuesday. We're doing, at four, The Apartment with Jack Lemmon and nice. Shirley McLean, directed by Billy Wilder. Yep. Basically, Jack Lemmon's character, uh, C.C. Baxter, is a, he works for an insurance company in New York City, obviously in the 60s, 50s era. And it's a massive company, and he's just you know another corporate guy, um, just kind of trying to work his way up the ladder mm-hmm. and in order to do that he rents out his apartment for higher-ups at the company to basically have affairs in at yeah. night so he is basically he's kicked out of his apartment like basically almost every night of the week pretty much yeah and he has to deal with that and eventually he falls in love with shirley McLean, who mm-hmm. is an elevator attendant at the company but she is using like unbeknownst to both of them she's using uh baxter's apartment to have an affair with baxter's boss yep um it's a very interesting dynamic that billy wilder creates and i think jack jack lemon and shirley mclean are so good together in this movie in the first 30 minutes you really want them to get together it kind of reminds me of friends in how i think there's 10 seasons like the first three seasons you're sitting there i don't know how but the first few seasons you're sitting there just really waiting for ross and rachel to get together and it takes forever and there's a long build-up in the apartment billy water makes it to where within the first 30 minutes you want these guys to get together so they create that ross and rachel dynamic right away love love the movie and the ending was very um it makes you feel good about yourself it's interesting this was listed as a comedy in the 60s I, I don't really think of it as a comedy. It's more of like a romantic drama. I Maybe say. it's a situational because co- it's a yeah. ridiculous. It's a it's like a ridiculous situation, obviously, to yeah. be in. I love that film. I watched it. I believe in one of my film classes on a big screen. Um, yeah, it's beautiful cinematography. Obviously, as you said, there's this incredible chemistry between Lemon and Shirley MacLaine, who's an incredible actress and. Yeah, I really like that pick. That's a solid pick, and I'm glad you just recently watched it as well. I have a number four, Spartacus, which is, uh, you know, a classic, amazing Kubrick film. Um, But where it really stands out, made in 1960, uh, sort of distributed in 1960, 
as a note, one of my dad's three favorite films ever, so shout out, along with Dr. Zhivago and Cinema Paradiso. But uh, Spartacus is a really touching and moving film. It's this war biopic where you follow this gladiator, Spartacus, who stands up for all the other slaves and leads this sort of uprising against Roman leaders and you have Charles Lofton, you have uh, really great actors uh, in the roles of the Roman sort of empire leaders. And when they're battling the Roman empire, like these great uh, fighters, and they're clearly very outnumbered, it's like right before that scene, one of the last scenes of the film, it's absolutely heartbreaking to see you know they have no chance and still they go to fight because even when the odds are stacked against you even when you know you're gonna lose it's what that fight sort of stands for and um a beautiful part and probably the most famous part of the film is when the roman generals or the roman leaders are looking for spartacus and they say where's spartacus like it's very few of them are left and then slowly there's silence and then you have one person say i'm spartacus and then i'm spartacus i'm Spar-, and then everyone is spartacus because i mean that that man had put his life on the line led these led these slaves to try to get freedom and and gain some sort of some form of equality and in return they stood up for him they covered him and it's this yeah it's this beautiful narrative about being united even in the face of defeat and having great honor and respect and obviously it's devastating to see these people and kirk douglas on uh, like crucified i mean at the end it's a brutal brutal uh film to sort of emotionally deal with but also one that's a ride that i will never forget in terms of a film and one i'd highly recommend so yeah, I would say that one was, again, very close to being on my list. Maybe I didn't put it on there just because I haven't seen it in a while. Sure. Uh, but definitely Kirk Douglas's best movie. So moving into my number three, I put Psycho. Okay. <laughs> Interesting. The So I said last podcast, Vertigo is Hitchcock's best movie, but yep. it's, it depends on what day you ask me, but today I, I think it's Psycho. <laughs> um, Classic it is this for a 1960s movie it does an incredible job of like genuinely scaring you anthony perkins plays a very creepy i think he's in his 20 year old uh 20 year old man that owns a or with his mother owns a hotel on the side of the highway bates motel yeah the bates motel um, which has since been made into a tv series on netflix that's not as good obviously um but he his mother he's like controlled by his mother and he um, does everything to please her and serve her and this lady um what is the actress's name janet lee janet lee yeah Yeah. she comes by herself one night raining and rents a room and it Mm -hmm. goes from there um very creepy movie obviously the iconic shower scene takes place one of the most iconic scenes in 
cinematic history, really. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, the music <laughs> uh, has been referenced multiple times since in other movies and shows. I just think it's, like I said, probably Hitchcock's best work. Um, and for a movie made, what, 60 years ago, it's pretty scary. So, um, yeah, I'd yep. put Psycho at number three. Again, he's a master of suspense, but I think this was either... This is one of his three best films ever. Uh, I actually have Vertigo fourth. I think it's Rear Window, then Psycho, then North by Northwest, then Vertigo. But I also watched Vertigo after I just watched Lawrence of Arabia and Dr. Strangelove in yeah. one sitting. Oh, wow. And I was physically like exhausted Why did you do that? it was during a time it was in ninth grade i i had one summer the last summer i didn't really do anything in my life and now you know i'm always doing stuff but uh i just watched like two or three classic films a day and Dude, i don't know i completely of Arabia broke is down long. it is and it's number three on my list yeah. okay <laughs> so, so that's my that. lead-in yeah, yeah. Lawrence of Arabia, four hours and 37 minutes, I think. That's off the top of my head. You can look into it. I'm scarred, obviously. I mean, Peter O'Toole is incredible in this film. You have Omar... Three three hours and 48 minutes. Oh, really? Yeah. It wasn't four hours? Okay. Yeah, four hours is... Maybe the extended cut that I watched, but uh, (laughs) very possibly. No, Lawrence of Arabia is this epic uh, tale. We follow Peter O'Toole throughout this the, the desert on this long and strenuous quest to uh, sort of i mean it's it's so long <laughs> that there are like six or seven different parts and goals it's this so epic I, film i can say i just yeah. finished reading a book about um lawrence of arabia t yeah. lawrence who was in the british army during world war one mm-hmm. um and this movie is obviously based on his life basically he had done archaeological work in the Middle East in Syria before World War One, and he became very attached to the region um, so when he decided to enroll in the army he wanted to get involved in the Middle East he eventually worked his way he was in Cairo for a while working in the maps department and he hated it he hated it because he wanted to be in the Middle East trying to evoke some sort of change and eventually he gets a posting in um, Arabia and he works to because at the time um, the Sorry, this is going to be a side note, but the Allies, um, mainly the the British and French, really had no um, military ambition in the Middle East besides the fact that they wanted to have control of different aspects of the region following the war. So they weren't necessarily committed to fighting. They Obviously, the, the Ottoman Empire was in the region at the time, um, but it was the um, Arabs that they were... Um, allies with it was a bunch of separate tribes from all over and what really what uh, T.E. Lawrence did is he united all these tribes he saw that the army wouldn't be successful as a bunch of these tribes so he united all the tribes into one army um, and led them all the way up to um, Aquaba um, and then or Aqaba sorry Mm -hmm. Um, and then eventually they won the Middle Eastern aspect of the war Um, it's an aspect of the of world war one that i'm very interested in because a lot of the groundwork for the present day middle east was laid during world war one and how in the paris peace conference um sorry this is getting into a history lecture no you got it at the paris peace conference uh basically all of lawrence's work was nullified um, because in 
a few minutes, um, the Allied powers being British, uh, the UK, France, and the United States divided up the Middle East into the way they wanted to be in the Arabs, um, who the British promised um, certain land, uh, they didn't get it. And classic Brit. Yeah. So, and that leads to a lot of the tension that you see today, amongst other things. But thanks, GBR. So it's. It's this movie is a true story and it's very very historically historically accurate, which is um, rare for a lot of history. Movies. So he's sort of torn between his allegiance to the British Army and obviously he's a British officer, sort of yeah. deployed here, um, and his new sort of friends or comrades within these Arab regions that uh, he's trying. I mean, you, you just gave a perfect historical description. While I was going to say it stood out to me even years after I watched it, because ninth grade, man, that was seven, yeah, seven wow, years ago. I'm an old man. But uh, what stood out to me was I remembered how touched I was by the performances. So you had Alec Guinness, Anthony, so Alec Guinness, Bridge on the River Kwai, um, he was also, you know, Obi-Wan in Star Wars. Anthony Quinn, who was Zorba the Greek and is an amazing actor in his own right. Jack Hawkins, who's been in several great 50s and 60s films. Cloud Rains, who was in Casablanca. And then, of course, Peter O'Toole starring and Omar Sharif playing this secondary, uh, like he's sort of the co-star, um, this secondary role and that performance allows him to be cast as Dr. Zhivago, which is another incredible film of this era. But every single one of those great actors, I, I just, I don't know, seeing it at the time, obviously I was watching a lot of other older films and a lot of the great films of whatever era of the forties through the two thousands and the 2010s. That, to this day, stands out to me. The quality of performances throughout that ensemble were just... I mean, it's incredible, and that's why I have it as one of the 20 greatest films ever. Even though I had to suffer through those yeah. many, many hours, it was worth it because I continuously found myself connecting with these characters, drawn to the writing, which was uniquely solid at that time uh, and still holds up today. So yeah, and I, I I definitely I have that at three. I don't remember all of the plot points. <laughs> I should rewatch it. It's again a commitment. Um, so I'll have to figure out a time to do that. But it just it's always stuck in my mind. Like particular scenes, him and Omar Sharif sort of traveling throughout the desert, and they still stick in my mind today. So I have that at number three. Yeah, that um, is another movie that. I took in and out of my list and it just fell out. Um, one thing that, the main thing that stands out for me in that movie is just absolutely beautiful cinematography. Yeah, I believe it won time. the Oscar for cinematography that year. It's, they filmed it on location in Jordan. Just beautiful, expansive desert shots. And this movie was made in the 60s. The camera quality is incredible. Re, can, it's been remastered since then. Yeah. That's the version we're watching. But even the original print that i've seen the original yeah. uh, footage that i've seen is is really beautiful so. yeah so they did a great job with that movie both keeping it historically accurate and filming on location and also like you said the performances peter o'toole did a great job doing uh lawrence so really appreciated that movie but at number two um 
we might have the same top two here. I think we do. I mm. there's no way you don't have this movie in your top two. Okay. Uh, it's 2001: A Space Odyssey, mm-hmm. directed by Stanley Kubrick. Yes. Yes, sir. Um, I honestly don't have much to say about this movie because lot, <laughs> most of it is up to interpretation. I think it starts out with this scene with an ape that learns how to use a bone as a weapon and i think this movie is speaking about life and the human existence there are multiple interpretations of this movie still to this day and i don't think it was appreciated at the time obviously um it was only nominated for two oscars or something like that only won one for editing or sound editing um but i it was very confusing (laughs) and i still don't know what it's about still have it at number two though I have so, it at two because it's just iconic and so yeah. many people it's one of their favorite movies yeah. and it's, it's cinematically beautiful um, Kubrick does a great job for a movie made in the 60s it it's was the very very far in advance it's the best of its era so I had that at two uh, since you have it probably in your top two you can go into more detail yeah, is that your number two as let well me, or? no okay uh, my number two is let me talk about 2001 for a second then so 2001 i'll talk a little bit about it now and then maybe a little later um yeah it begins with this scene you have these sort of apes and you see the monolith it's this sort of black square that descends into the earth and it represents the first major evolution in mankind so it's going from you know, an inability to use tools to being able to use tools, being able to create fire. It's referencing um, the sort of descendants of Homo sapiens, so Homo habilis, Homo erectus. Um, and then the second major, there's another monolith that comes later in the film that rep- represents the next sort of evolution. Then finally, the third and final monolith is this representation of uh, sort of artificial intelligence taking over how which is this uh evil later turned evil ai system that uh is in charge of the spaceship that the main character of this film is sort of in and travels in throughout the film but uh that third monolith represents rebirth it represents um how man is being reborn and retransitioned into something much higher which is ai basically what Kubrick did in 68, when we were bare, we didn't have like easily usable computer technology, even at the great universities in the world. This was like 20 years after uh, Turing and his findings uh, around World War II. He, and this was like during a time of the space race and he predicted a few things that were wrong. Moon boots <laughs> were one thing that don't exist, like anti-gravity boots. But so many of his like guesses of what would be the case in, 2000, in the 2000s or 2010s in terms of technology that astronauts and space explorers would use to survive was incredibly accurate. Um, and he's sort of acknowledged and highly regarded for this because nobody expected like at that time there were ridiculous predictions but he was so he ended up being so accurate with his predictions that it's really scary in addition to that yeah you have to do a an extensive research project to start to understand 
There's this light show in the middle of the film which serves as intermission, but believe it or not, all of those lights are representing higher beings that are uninterpretable to man and us. So we're just seeing a bunch of lights flashing, but in reality, it's this character sort of traveling through uh, a dimension in which we're unable to conceive. And then that final iconic sort of shot, or one of the final shots where you have this embryo sort of wrapped up as a planet, that's just a representation of rebirth again, uh, relating back to the mono, the final monolith, and how as humans uh, we're becoming reborn after our true birth, sort of into the next uh, phase of our evolution. It's it's very highbrow to many inaccessible to everyone. In I mean, if you understand this movie and you didn't do any research, you're lying or you're yeah, crazy. No one fully understands this no. movie. Nobody does. And even somebody that has tried studying this as much as possible, it's difficult to decode what's happening. However, even if you don't understand everything that's happening, you can appreciate the like scary accuracy that Kubrick has in terms of his predictions, the beautiful cinematography, the incredible symbolism and artistic elements that uh, still stand as sort of uh, molds for modern day uh, further creative exploration and lastly you can appreciate the story itself like how is this how 3000 is this really terrifying villain who basically traps and eventually uh and tries to kill these astronauts that are stranded in space and um the isolation and all the, this film inspired films like gravity or uh, which won Best Picture several years ago, um, and other space films, First Alien, Man, maybe. Alien, yeah, absolutely. I think that was in the sixties too, maybe. 70. It was. No, I think it was made around the same time as Star Wars, seventy nine maybe, and then Aliens was eighties. But I do remember we were in Frankfurt and they had we went to this film yes. museum in Frankfurt and they for some reason randomly had uh, an exhibit with a bunch of props from. Uh, 2001, 2001. Yeah. it was a special exhibit that was sick i was that's pretty a dope. kid in a candy we were not store expecting there that, yeah. no we were not but shout out deutsche film museum if y'all want to send us something let us know so yeah uh if you're listening visit frankfurt uh, yeah <laughs> visit <laughs> visit frankfurt in the chat yeah um but yeah great film my number two is psycho we already talked about why great score score one of score not one of score seasons one of hitchcock's best films Hitchcock does have other decent films, but this is the end of the true dominant Hitchcock era. Like it's from yeah late forties to like Probably Rope to Psycho. Those are the bookends. The Birds in sixty three. Some people love the Birds. I didn't like. I we watched it in the moment. It's not incredible. I'll be honest with you. Uh, it's a psychological thriller. Yeah. To many, that seems like a cop out. Because it's not actually terrifying in the moment. But it, it actually is a psychological thriller. Three days after I watched that movie with William, I was out and about. Had, uh, and had about. some dinner. Had some dinner. Um, and there were a bunch of birds <laughs> flying to eat my stuff. And I bolted, dude. I was not having any of that. Yeah. I didn't want that action. So Well, birds aren't real, obviously. So yeah, They're just right. government you know, spies, apparently. Yeah, according I, to some people. Ask so. Luis Barranco about that. But yeah, so at Luis Barranco to, on Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so two is psycho. No, yeah. two is psycho. Is that all you have to say? Kind of hit on all the main points. Oh, um, yeah. I mean, it 
an all-time great score. I don't know, so Bernard Herrmann is one of the greatest composers ever. He does a lot of uh, Hitchcock collaborations. I'm not sure if this is a particular Hitchcock collaboration. I'm gonna have to... Yeah, it is. Psycho. Uh, North by Northwest, Man too, Knew Too Much, and Vertigo. Yeah, I mean, did Citizen Kane, Cape Fear, Taxi Driver, Jesus. Later, um, oh. which we'll talk about. No, he's an all-time great. So, Herman, incredible score. Uh, interesting performances. Yeah, I was gonna clarify. So, the, the man is like sort of possessed by his dead mother yeah. and embodies and dresses up as but her. But we don't know she's dead for the most... For Probably most of the yeah. film, spoiler alert. Yeah. Yeah, sorry. Uh, apologies. But, yeah, it's... I mean, nowadays you would just say it's... Uh, or you would classify what he had as disassociative identity disorder directly related to the passing of his mother and their sort of um, awkward psycho... I'm not going to say psychosexual because that's too Freud, but some weird relationship stuff was going on and he sort of became possessed by her and there might have been supernatural components. But anyways, great film, incredible thriller. Uh, yeah, loved it. So what do you have as number one? Because I don't think I have it as number one. Do you have one. a guess? Uh, one guess, one guess. You're allowed one guess. One guess? Yeah, just one, like guess one film that you think is my top one my number one okay i'm thinking maybe a paul newman movie. it could be the great escape um paul newman movie might be cool hand luke i don't know i mean the ones i would guess these are not my official no guesses. you have one just give me one guess oh my god don't take too long come on oh my god okay fine oh give, me, give me 10 10 seconds 10 9 8 Seven. Can't believe this is in the box. Six, Six. Five. Four. Three. Two. One. Go. Uh, I'll I'll guess. <laughs> I don't know. Did Butch Cassidy and the Sundance no. Kid. No. no. What? Number one. Another Kubrick movie. Doctor Strangelove. Oh, I'm surprised you had that that Doctor high. Doctor Strangelove. Uh, there's a another part of the title. Who's in love with the bomb? Do- Doctor Strangelove or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the, the bomb. bomb. Yeah. The only reason I put this above 2001 is because yeah. it had so much more relevance to the present day society at the time. Yeah. Basically, it's uh, it's making fun of the Cold War and the nuclear tensions. You yep. start out with a B-52 bomber being, you know, they have it's flying and they have those planes that are that refuel planes midair it basically turns that into erotica and basically these the b-52 is like having sexual relations with the other plane so right from the bat it's yeah. you can tell this is gonna be it's gonna be fun. controversial man. it was yeah. very controversial at the time and yeah. you know high high-ranking officers in the um u.s army came out and said things like this wouldn't happen and when i say things like this basically it is about this rogue general uh, play Jack D. Ripper um, who like somehow has the authority to launch declare nuclear war and drop nukes on Russia and apparently I was reading through the an article and this actually could have happened um, the it wasn't only the president that had the authority to launch nuclear weapons at the time um, so this guy goes rogue and decides to launch nukes at Russia was this by George C. Scott? Or this was George C. Scott, the guy you're talking about, the main actor in the film that no, goes no, rogue? No, was or that's uh, a different Sterling guy? Hayden. Interesting, okay. Um, he goes rogue, uh, and <laughs> they launch a bunch of planes toward 
Russia and dropped him nukes. And one of the planes is this B-52 that was having sexual relations with the refueling plane at the beginning of the movie. Classic. And that has uh, James Earl Jones in it. Shout out to James Earl Jones. Goat go voice. Um, and eventually, they all the planes get recalled after uh, a, another ironic meeting in the war room. Uh, with a bunch of high-ranking U.S. officials and a Russian ambassador. Uh, it leads to the famous line. Well, let me look it up just so I don't misquote it, but um, he basically says there's no fighting in the war room, gentlemen. Um, that war room is so cool, man. It's a dope it's just, um, yeah. set. Yeah. Um, so basically, the generals, after a long, like, a lot of the movie takes, they are arguing, and they finally, you know, recall all of... Uh, the planes from Russia except this one plane because it got shot with a missile and it's now flying at like literally like on the ground and they can't get detected by Russian radar um, and they eventually drop the nuke at the end and awesome. the whole he rides the nuke down he rides the nuke <laughs> and it's weird because th there's a large sexual undertone to this movie it's an overtone <laughs> it's it under over and all so like it starts around, out bro. with you know the planes and these guys these generals are kind of talking about um their like obsession over the bomb they almost have like a he kind of makes fun of how they're so obsessed with the bomb and they kind of like it's all they have in their life and then at the end it's like a billion explosions you can make up your mind on what you think that was about but yeah. it shows like the one bomb nuke being dropped triggers a um a doomsday device that like just destroys chain the reaction so they all die yep. um, and I think Peter Sellers in this movie yep. he played he was outstanding he played the president he awesome. played um, Mandrake who was the rogue general's like assistant or was you know working with him and then he also played Strangelove this former Nazi um, who works for the US now and has this like mechanical arm <laughs> that like is can't stop saluting doing the Nazi <laughs> salute going, yeah and he says how Hitler to the president and all yeah, that stuff. Shit. So it's just a great movie, very relevant to the time, and it was very controversial at the time. Um, had a very mixed reaction, and I think it was another Kubrick movie that wasn't appreciated at the time. Yeah, but great film, and I put it at number one. I, I had Doctor Strangelove definitely uh, in my honorable mentions. Um, so we didn't have any of the same movies except Psycho. No. Which is interesting. I mean, that's that's how incredible yeah. this era was. I did think you were going to go with a Paul Newman or... Uh, what's it called? Paul Newman or... Steve what McQueen. is it? Steve McQueen. Yeah. I just think it's Strangelove had too much of a cultural impact. In no, it did. Yeah. It was not only a reflection of society, but it had a significant impact uh, on viewers and the general audience in America at large. So that's... No, I agree. That's a great film. I only put five honorable mentions that actually didn't that probably wouldn't have made my top 10 and it's an all-time great which is just a testament to how incredible this era yeah. was but I have as my honorable mentions good bad and the ugly wait wait wait, wait, wait. Uh, well oh, I didn't do my are oh. you doing number one what was your number one? Oh, 2001 A Space Odyssey oh, and I already discussed it okay. I mean that's that's my second favorite film ever yeah so that's that's gonna be I know you know what my favorite film is yeah. we already talked about that but uh, 2001 is is definitely okay. number one so, for yeah. me. So, honorable mention, Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. Uh, Dr. Zhivago, Omar Sharif, this really interesting love story, war film um, that I watched on the plane. 
back, maybe back from London, or so it was on an international flight. Big shout out, great film. Uh, and then, guess who's coming home to dinner? Which was an incredibly important film at the time. Starred Sidney Poitier. Uh, he did two films, which actually both make my honorable mention list. In the Heat of the Night and Guess Who's Coming Home to Dinner in 67. Both incredibly inf- impactful because starred a, uh, a black actor that, for the first time, that was a mainstream sort of film that so many uh, people were able to watch. And uh, I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about Poitier later, but great film. Guess Who's Coming Home to Dinner just about him going with his white girlfriend home and the racial tension and relationship issues in the heat of the night he's this detective in the south uh educated in the northeast comes down um and it's very similar if you all have seen uh just mercy with michael b jordan recently came out this is better in my opinion as a film but it's very similar to that Uh, And then, yeah, Once Upon a Time in the West is my last one, which is my second favorite Western ever after Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. Okay. Um, What do you have? Honorable mentions, and then I want to do something that we didn't talk about last podcast. Okay. Um, So I had The Graduate, The Great Escape with Steve McQueen, World War II movie, great movie. Spartacus. uh, I don't know if you've seen this one, Sherrod, with Cary Grant and Audrey Hepburn. I have seen Sherrod. The best Hitchcockian movie that wasn't directed by Hitchcock, in my opinion. Um Lawrence of Arabia, the Battle of Algiers, about a mm-hmm. Algerian man that was uh, started a revolution against fresh French rule. Watched that in a class actually my sophomore year. Great film. Solid. Uh, then Cool Hand Luke. Yep. Uh, what we have here is a failure to communicate. <laughs> Iconic line. Yes. One of my favorite movies. I watched that one like ten years ago. I watched that one when I was really little. Huh. And then I had to mention The Sound of Music. I've never seen it, oh, but boy. it's an all timer. <laughs> It is. And then The Longest Day with John Wayne, a well, a movie about D-Day. So, What's up? what we didn't talk about last time is the... I want to go through the best pictures for the decade real quick. Sure. So, in 61, so movies for 60, uh, best picture was The Apartment, which, we which I agree with. Yeah. It won over movies that didn't have a chance, really, or weren't at that quality 62 movies for 61 we had west side story mm-hmm. which won over the hustler and judgment at nuremberg one which of we the, didn't talk about one of the only enjoyable musical i'm not a big musical guy one of the only enjoyable musicals i ever watched but yeah hustler and judgment nuremberg both great films and then in the next one 62 movies for 60 or 63 movies for 62 lawrence of arabia um, won over to mockingbird in the longest day Munion on the bounty was another good film yeah, sixty four. So six, movies for sixty three. Uh, Tom Jones won. That was a bad over Cleopatra, which is surprising. That and was how the West Taylor's was won. Best role. Yeah, sixty four. We had My Fair Lady, which won over Doctor Strangelove and Mary Poppins, and Zorba the Greek. That's it. I've never seen My Fair Lady, but maybe it's maybe it's good. I don't know. It, and then next year we had Sound of Music, won over Doctor Zhivago. Nice. Fair. Uh, 67 movies for 66 we had a man for all seasons no uh, idea what that is fred zinnemann obviously a really notable filmmaker but who's afraid of virginia yeah. wolf is a film i've heard an incredible uh, amount about all positive things so i don't know james why, stewart's i think it was maybe one of his last movies 
Big Jimmy. Um, then 67, uh, we had In the Heat of the Night. It won over The Graduate and Dr. Doolittle and also Bonnie and Clyde. And then also, guess who's coming out? Yeah, I mean, he can... <laughs> Pauti had two Best Picture nominated films. That's incredible. Yeah. I mean, the man is is an icon. Yeah. And then next we had Oliver, which won over Romeo and Juliet, Rachel, Rachel, The Lion in Winter. Lion in Winter is the only one I've heard about. Yeah. And then the last one, 1970, so movies for 69, Midnight Cowboy. The oh. only, only X-rated film that has won Best Picture ever. Huh. And it's a film we'll probably watch very soon. We'll see Dustin Hoffman, John Boyd. We'll see how it is. <laughs> And but, one over Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Sleeper? Okay. Okay. We didn't even talk about Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid, and that's that's a great film. Iconic. So, well, yeah. let's get into our actors, and we should do this kind of quick. Just okay. Just we're already, what, 50 minutes in, so. Yeah, we'll run through these. So, uh, best, uh, are we doing directors or no? We're let's do actors, actors, actresses, and then wrap up with directors. Okay, so actors, we got... Uh, I got number one, Sidney Poitier, for In the Heat of the Night, and Guess Who's Coming Home to Dinner. It's about, not only that those are two of the greatest films of this decade, but it's about the social and cultural impacts of his performances. Uh, obviously, In the Heat of the Night and Guess Who's Coming Home to Dinner, both films that spoke to racial tensions and discrimination that was rampant in the, six, in the 60s and was a huge topic of conversation at the time. Uh, and he could not have played either of those roles better. So I have him at number one because not only of his talent, but also because of his significance to the time. Number two, Clint Eastwood, the three, three of the four greatest Westerns ever, Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, Fistful of Dollars, for a few dollars more. Um, and then at number three, I have Paul Newman because of Cool Hand Luke, The Hustler, and Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, which all yeah. three are great. Um, and I'll talk about my honorable mentions after you. So I did top four just because I had to get the fourth one in. Um, four is Steve McQueen. Can't talk yep. about 60s film without Steve McQueen. He had The Magnificent Seven in 1960, mm-hmm. The Great Escape, one of my favorite movies, even though I didn't put it in my top five in 63. And then he also had Bullet in Bullet 1968, solid. which is a great film. Um, th- my three and two are the same. Paul Newman at three and Eastwood at two. Um, Paul Newman had a really good decade and was a great he was a very good uh, philanthropist, very socially active throughout his life. Um, so shout out to him. Clint Eastwood, obviously, iconic westerns. And then at number one, we didn't talk about any of these movies, hmm. but he is an film icon. I have Sean Connery uh, for starting oh, okay. for starting the Bond series, the most arguably the fa- most famous film series, whatever you call them, out. Uh, he had Dr. No in 62, From Russia with Love 63, Goldfinger 64, Thunderball 65, and You Only Live Twice 67. I think Dr. No, From Russia, and Goldfinger are yes. my three favorite Bond movies ever. So he had a great three-year stretch there. Shout out to Sean Connery, uh, my favorite Bond of all time, so I put him at number one. I respect that. I think he definitely deserves consideration. He's not a part of any films that are like widely critically renowned but the james bond films that he did especially dr no from russia and uh, goldfinger are obviously very well respected just not incredibly highly critically acclaimed so i respect that i didn't even have him in my honorable mention i have steve mcqueen jack lemon and peter o2 in my honorable mention with which we've already yeah. spoken about but uh yeah i mean the bond series obviously besides the great fast and furious series which obviously critically acclaimed incredible box office you know it's not meant for the box office it's just about the art 
um, and and going out there and doing the, th- doing the right, right things, things every, every day. day. Shout, Shout out, out Adam Morrison. Morrison. Yeah. Wow. There we go. So you got your actresses. Yeah, I got my actresses. So I want to from now on. I I think we should maybe do a top five actors, both actresses okay. and so both male actors and female actors. But what for is this? That, okay, because in the seventies and eighties they get more of a role, or because yes, it was hard for I wanted to do actors and actresses for the fifties and sixties. Just because it's hard for me to put some of these actresses ahead of the actors based on performance alone. Yes, I think we start to get. We'll talk about this in the seventies, but we start to get consistently great performances uh, by female actors in the seventies and in the eighties because they're allowed to have more significant roles. Yeah. Um, but at this time, I understand the sort of distinction because otherwise, maybe we wouldn't discuss them as much. Uh, for my best actresses. I will mention Marilyn Monroe. She passed away in 1962. Uh, an incredibly tragic life, obviously, riddled by uh, terrible relationships and uh, and violence and abuse and, and all of these uh, awful things. But um, she is a legend, uh, an incredible musician, singer, and, and great actress. So shout out to her. What is she? What movies uh, was she in the 60s? She was only then? in one. She died in 62. So, oh, you're just giving her a shout she, out. She's yeah, not on your list. I think it's some like it. I don't know if some like That's it hot is in it. She was in the Misfits in '61. Okay, yeah, she wasn't really in it, but I just yeah. wanted to give her a shout out. Janet Leah have it three for Psycho and the Manchurian Candidate, which we didn't okay, talk yeah. about because neither of us have seen the OG one. Yeah. Um, Elizabeth Taylor, who was in Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, highly lauded, and Cleopatra, which is arguably her most notable role. Uh, in her sort of filmography and then Audrey Hepburn yeah. who is the next great Hepburn after Catherine yeah. <laughs> Hepburn um, dominated the 40s and 50s uh, Audrey in the 60s Breakfast at Tiffany's Charade or Charade which you've already uh, mentioned yeah. is a great film so that's my top three uh, Audrey Hepburn was also in Roman Holiday yep. in the 50s with Gregory Peck She's a really talented actress. I mean, at that time, again, not a lot of incredible roles for women. I know nowadays there aren't, but especially back then there wasn't. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. I had, likewise, Audrey Hepburn at one, Breakfast at Tiffany's, my mom's favorite movie. Um, she was really good in that movie. Uh, very convincing character. Um, really played that type of woman well, I think. Um, and then Sherrod obviously or how it charade love that movie with uh cary grant yep. and then two i didn't do a top three i just put two i put ann bancroft uh, she was the, mir- the miracle worker um and also played an outstanding character in the graduate yep uh, and that was like you said very revolutionary at the time so Great. those are my top two actresses nice and then i'll do my directors first um, okay yeah go so ahead. at number three put hitchcock uh he still makes my list for the 60s hmm. um strictly off psycho and the birds psycho carries that um but i think those two movies really still hold him up pretty high in this decade sure but there there's a huge drop off between two and three so he's way far behind i think we two. have the same three number two is sergio leone yes uh four of the best westerns ever yep 64 65 in 66 he had it for a, fist, a fistful of dollars for a few dollars more in the good bad and ugly and then 68 he had once upon a time in the yep. west 
And then at number one, it's undebatable. It's uh, Stanley Kubrick yep. with Spartacus, Doctor Strange Love in 2001. Likely his best decade and yes. maybe the greatest director of all time. So I absolutely agree. Literally had the same list, same order. Alfred Hitchcock, Psycho, The Birds, Marnie, which was underrated. This is the end of his career. It's a pick because you got to give respect to Hitchcock. Yeah. Yes, it was the end of his time and he only had significant films come out in the early part of that decade, in the early half, but still, all three were uh, notable sort of films in his career. Sergio Leone, the four, I can assuredly almost say, unless you want to throw in The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance or High Noon or some of the John Wayne films like The Searchers, these are probably the four best like classic westerns that I have seen. Uh, Fistful of Dollars for a Few Dollars, More Good, Bad, and the Ugly, and Once Upon a Time in the West, so I have them at two. Uh, again, a specialist in a particular genre, uh, like a, you know, a better Wes Anderson or very different, or a Tarantino or a Scorsese rather than, or a Hitchcock rather than Kubrick, who dominates a lot of different genres and styles. Uh, lastly, yeah, Stanley Kubrick, Spartacus, Lolita, Doctor Strange, Love, two thousand one, two of my top five, uh, and then two other. You're number one in there. Yeah. Like that's it's undebatable and. He has great films before and after this, but for four incredible films to be in one decade it is a very rare thing. I think so the 60s was definitely were, were definitely his best decade for sure. Yeah, honorable mention David Lean, uh, who made Lawrence of Arabia and Doctor Zhivago, two of my favorites, and then Stanley Kramer, who made Guess Who's Coming Home to Dinner and Judgment at Nuremberg. So yep, those are yeah, those are the set of directors i have any uh final thoughts on on this decade or i don't have much to say i would say i think this decade is right up there with the best uh i don't know this decade's up there with the 70s and 80s i think the sick the 50s kind of get the ball rolling with some great films the 60s were peaking and film really peaks from in my opinion the 60s through the 80s and you have a few great movies in the 90s and then the 2000s and last decade the 2010s it's hit or miss um, there's yeah. not there's a few greats but there's not in, so, the 60s created some of the all time great great movies um, and we had obviously Kubrick um, his best decade we had guys like Sean Connery Clint Eastwood mm-hmm. Paul Newman and Steve McQueen all peaking in this decade I mean the fact that we had such a difficult time making our top five and I had like almost eight honorable mentions shows yeah. you how great film was and I, I I I I had movies that I didn't put on my honorable mentions that easily could have been yeah, in, that were on probably my... on my top five like there's just yeah. it was so hard to make the list so yep. um, it's a testament to the yeah. time absolutely yeah I mean I'll say <clears throat> to your point about these decades I'd say at least our favorites are probably from 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s but not to there's just so much more content in in the 2000s and 2010s that uh at this time there wasn't a lot of different films that were being made but there were so many great ones out of like the percent the percent yield was so much higher at this time uh than it is in the current era but obviously great films now might be more respected later down the line but anyways uh yeah this is one of the greatest eras ever obviously seen through us having a completely different top five except for one film (laughs) which was in a different place 
uh, on our top five. So, yeah, uh, great film. This era socially had an incredible impact on filmmaking and the breaking up of studios. And we're going to lead into the 70s, which hopefully we'll talk about soon, which is an era where auteurs dominate and you have sort of filmmakers given free reign to do whatever they want and this was a necessary stepping stone this is sort of the 50s is the absolute beginning the 60s really leads in to the 70s uh auteur driven era and you have the dominance of new hollywood that we should uh, talk about next time but absolutely that's that's pretty much it for this episode i'm gonna put you on the spot here one last thing what is your favorite movie line from this decade uh, I can't do that. All right. I, it's how three thousand telling. Um, it's uh yeah uh, yeah open the open the hot pot um, bay door uh, yeah yeah. Something like I that. can't do that how, or yeah. something like that. I know I, I do don't that. remember the exact thing, but I was like oh shit yeah <laughs> like yeah. oh my god yeah. like, hell no bro yeah. that was rough that was rough so yeah I mean, what about you I would say uh, is it at cool? the end of the apartment it's Shirley MacLaine she says shut up and deal iconic line big the movie ends big so. shout out Shirley but yeah that's all we got um, thank you guys for listening and yeah. we'll see you guys uh, for the 70s on the next podcast Sweet.